Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Well, we're back. You may have noticed our little hiatus there. Why, you ask? Well, COVID for one, many of us finally got it. And of course, not at the same time either, which would have been convenient, but instead somehow consecutively. So that took us out of action for a while. And then business travel has picked up considerably, a sign, I guess, that things are slowly returning to something closer to pre-pandemic patterns. Though I can't imagine it will ever be completely the same as it was in terms of travel anyway. And lastly, let's be honest, not much has changed since we last talked to you about the release of the fiscal year 2023 Green Book. Congress has been stuck dealing with non-tax matters, and almost all the buzz in the tax world hasn't come from Washington, but instead from Paris, as OECD's Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 negotiations slowly roll on. But just like the flowers blooming here in Washington, hope also springs eternal. And in the last week or two, there have been reports that there is now new traction on doing a tax reconciliation bill with pieces scraped together from what remains of last year's Build Back Better legislation. Well, how seriously should we take these reports? I have no doubt that efforts to find a deal on Capitol Hill are happening. But will these efforts find success? Ask 10 people here in Washington, and I promise you, you'll get 10 different answers to that question. So today, we're going to come at it from a different angle. Instead of speculating, let's just take a hard look at the congressional calendar and other congressional priorities for this summer. Then we'll leave it to you to make your own determination of how this might go. To try and set that up for you, I'm joined by our old friends, Jenna Cunha and Tom Stout. Okay, so with that set up, I guess my first question is gonna be for you, Jen. I just looked at the congressional calendar and according to that, there are 12 days in June and 12 days in July where both the House and the Senate will be in session here in Washington. So question one, does that really mean they only have 24 days to do all the things that they want to do? Or how does this work, you know, from your experience on the Hill? Will things happen even when they're not in town or can the Senate still progress some legislation if the House isn't there and vice versa? Yep, and that's right, John. The number of days that are left before August recess are few where you have both chambers in session, but they don't have to be physically there, physically present in order to start negotiations. I mean, yes, at the principal level, you do have to have members in order to hammer out a final deal, sit in the same room and hash things out. But in the weeks leading up to that, that can certainly be done remotely. It can be done, you know, during recess weeks. And we've seen that in the past, right? If history is a guide back in 2017 during the negotiation of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the entire August recess was staff-level negotiations leading up to principal-level negotiations when they were back in town. So I I don't see that as a limiter. I mean, I think that the total number of days that are left is the real limiter. And what would you say then is the, as a practical consideration, the final day on which you think realistically we should think that they could pass a reconciliation bill? Ooh, is it the end of July? Uh, I think it's passage. You know, we've seen this movie before. Usually what happens is that there's an attempt to get it done before August recess. If there's a political will 
to get a package done, right? There's a, that's a big if. And then, you know, if it doesn't get done by the end of July, sometimes leadership harder during a midterm election year will say, hey, we're going to stay in until this thing is done. Everyone's staying in during August recess. That's going to be really tough this year, but it has happened before. So I would say the end of that first week of August is really last possible chance. I mean, members are going to be extremely angry with leadership if there are any weeks in the August recess that are canceled. This is a midterm election year. They want to go home. They want to go to their states. They want to go to their districts to campaign. They don't want to be fighting over the Build Back Better Act in August. So really, and it's I that think, first week. Yeah, and I think as also another practical consideration is there was no way they would hold them in August unless they were 100% sure that this bill was going to pass. Right, so if you recall how it played out in December, they were holding them around because they were trying to still work out a deal. I can't believe they'd have them hang around into August and then ultimately say, well, we couldn't get a deal. Okay, now you can go home. That would be a bad scene. So the only scenario where they probably stay into August is if they feel that there's a deal that's completely wired to pass. Okay, Tom, let me come back to you then. So Jen thinks the end of July, maybe early August is really our practical deadline. But between now and then, Things can get done. Staff can progress on negotiating the bill or any bill in the interim. But there's a lot of other things on the agenda, maybe in line in front of a reconciliation bill. So why don't we just spend some time ticking off this list one by one of the things that they have to do. And it's just, I think, an illustration of even though they may have two months, you know, June and July to do it, there's a lot of other things they have to do. So they may ultimately run out of time, best intentions aside. So why don't we just start with the COVID funding legislation? So there's an effort to get some additional funding related to the ongoing COVID situation that the administration wants. Where does that stand? They're still working on it. I mean, the idea here is the the funding for the programs that have been set up are drying up or have dried up. And this is for vaccinations, free vaccines for testing, for research that's being done, and basically preparedness for this and, you know, whatever might be coming down. And as we've seen, there are always new mutations of the virus that we may have to deal with and predicted rise in cases in the fall. So it's money that they're trying to put together for that. The president had asked for $22.5 billion to get us through the end of the fiscal year, which ends in September. There was a sort of a tentative agreement around $10 billion, which would get us through the next couple of months at least. But that's sort of where things have stalled, largely because there's a dispute over whether to add an immigration provision that has some tangential relationship. This is the Title 42 issue. This is where we've been returning immigrants seeking asylum in the U.S. because of the health risk, which the CDC has now said is, is sufficiently low that we don't need to do it anymore. So there's a dispute over whether to add something on that to the COVID funding bill. And that's been confused even more by a district court case in Louisiana that's put a hold on ending the Title 42 expulsions. So it's complicated things. And while the need for the funding is somewhat urgent, it's not clear what track it's on at the moment. It's a good illustration. Even when it seems like it should be relatively straightforward, it never is, right? There's always something complicating it. And now none of this is tax, of course, as you just outlined, Tom, but it is a high priority for many in Congress to provide 
the administration with the COVID funding that they're asking for. So that they've still got to find a solution, how to get work through with that immigration issue in the background, how they're going to find a way to get the additional funding to the administration that they've asked for. So that's one. It'll take time. Okay. Jen, back to you then. The China competition bill or USICA or competes, whatever we want to call it, remind us what that is because we did an episode on it earlier in the year. It's still sitting out there. Remind us what that is and where it stands. USICA, as it was called in the Senate, the United States Innovation and Competition Act, it's complicated, right? It passed the Senate last year. It cleared the House earlier this year. And now it's in conference. That's where it is procedurally And that's where you have conferees that are named, they have been named, and they negotiate a package that the House and Senate can agree upon and then pass both chambers. Right now, it's in the middle of that process. Originally, when they decided to send it to conference, there was some hope, some optimism that it would be passed by Memorial Day. Well, it's a few days before Memorial Day that's coming up, and they're nowhere close to clearing this bill. So that timeline has lapsed, and that's looking more and more likely that the real realistic deadline is for the end of June. That's what we're hearing. Right now, it doesn't have a significant tax title. There's that one tax provision. I don't know if you remember this one, John, but it's the trade-related tiny tax provision, but it is in there. Healthcare tax credit, right? Yep. Yep. Oh, that's right. That's that, that healthcare tax credit. It doesn't look like, you know, there's a push to try to make it more tax heavy, to add additional tax provisions in there that are somewhat related to chips, to innovation. But so far that has really been met with a lot of skepticism on the Hill because it's already a complicated bill to negotiate and they really want to try to get this through on a bipartisan fashion by the end of June. Yeah, it passed the Senate with a pretty wide bipartisan amount of support. But the Senate bill is very different than the House bill. And I think the Senate, as it always does, is saying, hey, House, you got to pass our bill. Sorry. And that's part of what this ongoing negotiation is, is their ability to get that done. Tom, maybe I'll set a follow up on this. Channeling sort of the skepticism or the reluctance to add maybe tax cuts. You know, obviously people are looking at this as a potential vehicle for help on 174. Why do you think some Democrats may be reluctant to add 174 in there when it seems like that's one of the things that everybody seems to like? Well, it's a business tax preference. And the idea of extending a business tax preference, especially one that's associated with the TCJA that the Democrats didn't vote for, without addressing their spending and tax priorities, that's a difficult pill to swallow. Even though it's virtually universal agreement that the amortization of R&D expense doesn't make any sense, they're reluctant to do it now and when all their other priorities are still pending. That's right. For example, the child tax credit remains expired in that enhanced version expired since January 1st. That's a priority for many Democrats. And I think, as you say, Tom, they're reluctant to provide another corporate tax cut unless they can get resolution on that one. And it's kind of hard to see child tax credit going into this competition bill. Not that people are necessarily opposed to it. It just doesn't seem like the right vehicle for it. So I think that's why we're hearing this skepticism about the ability to get something like 174 into that bill. But we'll see. You know, we've still got negotiations to go. Okay. So, Tom, back to you then. So, obviously, if we just acknowledge the tragedy, the horrific circumstances of the shooting in Texas earlier this week, and that Congress is looking for a response of some sort. So, we now have an interest in doing legislation on something related to guns. 
and there are some bills related to background checks that seem to have some possibility. So can you talk about this? Is this what are, what is Congress currently doing and where do we currently stand on possibly moving some legislation related to background checks? Well, the House has passed two bills already having to do with background checks. One closes the, the so-called Charleston loophole, which says that you're required to do a background check before you sell firearms. There's a three-day period for doing that. If the check hasn't been completed in three days, the sale can proceed. The idea is to extend that to 10 days, which would give more time for the checks and have fewer guns sold before there's a completion of a background check. And then there's a second bill that's also passed the House that would broaden the background checks to, to private sales. This is the you know, so-called gun show loophole. They say both of those have passed the House last year, and they've been sitting in the Senate unaddressed. What's going on now is a small group of senators is trying to figure out if there is some sort of an agreement that can be reached that could get 60 votes in the Senate. That's what's been holding this up. Yeah, of course. Anything that they might do here would be non-budgetary in nature, so would not be permitted to be done in a budget reconciliation bill, for example. So this is going to require 60 votes. And I think, as you're saying, Tom, they're working hard to determine whether or not there are 60 votes to do anything on this. But that's going to take time, obviously, to negotiate. The Senate's prepared to leave town for the Memorial Day weekend, and I think they're out next week as well. In the interim, I think they're hoping that progress can be made and finding a deal to do something on a bipartisan basis on this issue. Exactly. But some thought they might try to vote on one or both of these bills before they leave, but that doesn't look like that's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, you might look at it and say, well, why not? And I think it seems to be anyway, this is an effort to take the time to try and find a bipartisan deal if it's there to be had. Right. Okay. Okay. One other thing, Jen, this one hits closer to home. For you, I imagine, because you've got a very young one at home. So we've had this baby formula crisis. I'm not asking you to tell us the details of what Congress is expecting to do, but Congress is looking at doing something, some kind of legislation on solving this baby formula situation. That seems like something that is going to get a lot of attention in Washington. What did you think that this is, you know, many are going to feel compelled to try and do something on this? Oh, certainly. And I can tell you that as a mother of a baby that lives off of formula, it's pretty jarring. And I think that there is a significant public outcry. When you go to the grocery store in any town, you know, in the suburbs, you can't find a can of formula. So I think that right now, lawmakers, there are a lot of things on the agenda. This is at the top of that list. There are moms, angry moms, calling their members of Congress saying, hey, I went to the giant and I can't find a single can of formula and I need to feed my child. So you could expect a significant amount of legislative time devoted to this issue. There I better know, be, like, you know, one way or the <laughs> other. I mean, I'm going to start calling. Well, this is like all the supply chain issues that we experience in many ways anyway over COVID is Congress feels compelled to do something to show that they're responsive and acting. But really, it's kind of hard to fix the supply chain problem overnight, right? So this is going to be one of the things where they want to show that they're trying and they care. But what can they really do? I don't know, except we're now getting imports from other countries of some formula, which hopefully will at least get us through until we can fix our own problems. Okay, Tom, let's go back to the budget for a moment. So first of all, back in March, I think, Congress approved funding for the government for the year. It goes through September 30th. 
But is there any work that needs to be done before they leave, let's say, at the end of July in terms of appropriating that money that you think they might work on? Or is it they could or do you think they won't do additional work in the House or the Senate on the appropriations aspect of that budget money? Clearly, I think they will. They have been working on, on the budget. This will be for the 2023 fiscal year, which begins October 1st. They're going to either have to pass a budget or they're going to have to do one of those continuing resolutions that continues funding the government at, at current levels, which virtually no appropriations chair is happy with because they always think they need more money or they need it in a different place. So what's been going on is the House Appropriations Committee subcommittees have been busily working on their budgets, I think with an intent, at least in the House, to get those budgets done maybe before the August recess. The Senate rarely does a whole lot on these things until the House sends something over. So it's likely to drag on into September, and that's why we usually end up in the situation around the end of September where Congress is pushing this all off by continuing current funding for a month, two months, three months, whatever they need to do. Complicated this year by the election, but they'll clearly be busy working on this, I think, throughout the summer. Yep. And then when they return from the August recess for a couple of weeks in September, before the end of the fiscal year, they're going to ha have to, because the current funding only runs through September 30th, correct? So something will have to be done. Jen, let me come back to something you said earlier. So you said you thought that the end of July was the practical end of their ability to do this, maybe into the first week of August, something on reconciliation. Remind us again, what happens when they come back in September? We just said they have to do something on funding. What happens on September 30th? Just remind everybody on the current budget reconciliation instructions. The current budget reconciliation instruction is good through the end of this fiscal year, which expires September 30th at midnight. So if they want to utilize that vehicle, it has to move by that date. Then it goes away. So the other way that they could do would be extremely interesting. I don't think it's been done before, but, you know, don't quote me on that, would be if they were to move a new budget for the following fiscal year, and then try to reopen that reconciliation process, that would be highly unusual in a midterm year, a few weeks before the election. I promise you, members, that's the last thing that they want to do with these tight races that are coming up and control of Washington in the balance. So I really think from a practical perspective, July, but again, we do have that hard deadline, September 30th at midnight, when the ability to do reconciliation with that existing vehicle expires. Yeah, it'd be pretty shocking to get a new reconciliation bill approved along with a new budget after that September 30th deadline because it would require every single Democrat to support it. It could, but it seems really unlikely. And as you say, it seems, you know, there's really not a precedent for that having happened, especially in a midterm year. So it feels pretty much like as a practical matter, the end of July, maybe that first week of August is a very, very tactical matter. Certainly by September 30th, this would have to be done. And just, John, maybe to remind people why that's important, that's the key to getting anything done of the president's Build Back Better agenda. That's it has to be done under reconciliation to get it through the Senate with only 51 votes. That's right. Yes, that's right. On a 60-vote basis at any time. But if you need to do it with only 51 votes, with Democratic-only votes, all 50 Democratic senators plus Vice President Harris, yeah, it would have to be done under budget reconciliation and therefore by September 30th as a practical matter, because they're gone August and part of September, it really feels like it's the end of July. Yep. 
Tom, there's one other thing that you mentioned that I thought was a really good observation. One other thing that they're going to have to deal with, and I think you called it the unexpected. <laughs> so just talk about that for a second. Yeah, it seems like there's always something new. Who expected at the beginning of the year we'd be dealing with war in Ukraine and baby formula shortage, something we've never seen before. It seems like there's always something new coming up that Congress needs to address, sometimes on an urgent basis. Who knows when the next one's going to be? You know, is it going to be another round of COVID with a new mutation or monkeypox or more funding for Ukraine necessary because the war's expanded there? I mean, there's always it seems something new coming up that further clogs the congressional calendar. Yeah, expect the unexpected is I think the best way to think about it, but it always seems to happen. And between now and the end of July, it probably will be something we haven't yet thought of become a pressing priority for Congress. Okay. All right, so here's my last question to both of you then. Let's just wrap all this up. So we started off by saying, you know, there's some time. They, they, you know, they're running. They've only got two months, but they can continue to advance the negotiations even if Congress isn't in. But then we ticked off all these other things that they have to do. So then the big question is, how optimistic or pessimistic should we be then on their ability to do reconciliation bill this year in 2022. I'm not going to ask you for a percentage, but just how are we generally feeling about it today based on everything we've discussed? Jen, I'm going to ask you first, so go ahead. I know it's a tough question, but hey, that's why you make the big bucks. I've got to say, optimism is low in my camp right now. I just see the legislative calendar, those unknowns that Tom was talking about. There are just so many different legislative priorities, such few weeks, just the number of days where they're going to be in session before August recess are slim, they're scarce. I just don't see it happening. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of political will to pick up the discussions. You don't hear about, hey, you know, this is something that we absolutely must do. There are so many competing policies out there right now, competing for Congress's time and for that legislative calendar, uh, very low on the optimism scale. So I'm in the low double digits. <laughs> okay. All right. It seems reasonable when you explain it that way. But how do you feel, Tom? Are you low or middle or high? I have to say I'm on the low side as well. But if you want to look at it on the optimistic side, the groundwork has been done. The technical drafting is done on many of the provisions. It's been more a question of trying to figure out which ones can satisfy basically one member of the Senate. I remember that the has been a $2.1 trillion bill already passed the House, and it's sitting over in the Senate now while they're trying to persuade Joe Manchin to go along with something. It's now devolved into discussions, I think, directly between the majority leader and Manchin and sort of picking from a menu of items that can be put into a bill. Now, that's sometimes easier said than done because even though Manchin may be satisfied with a particular menu, that may not satisfy all of the Democrats in the House that voted for something much larger. So that's why we still put this in the not likely but possible category. But, uh, you know, it is possible. This, a lot of the staff work has been done. You know, so it, it is possible coming up against whatever deadline we've got, July 4th or the August recess, to reach some sort of agreement that they could get something done. I would say probably considerably smaller than the $2.1 trillion bill that passed the House, but something that includes some of the priorities that Manchin has expressed support for, like some of the healthcare subsidies, prescription drug pricing, a lot of the climate change proposals that are included in the House bill, 
And then his big ad, which is deficit reduction, which would be an interesting one to try to see through the legislature, because while everyone there is in the abstract in favor of deficit reduction, the idea of cutting spending or raising taxes to do that is something that they are not very fond of, as we've seen. So possible, but probably in, in, in the less than likely category. I think that's fair. And, you know, I mean, look, reasonable minds can differ on this, but you all heard us lay out the calendar and the other priorities. So the chances aren't zero. I mean, nothing's ever zero in Washington, but we're nearly at the end of having this long conversation about Build Back Better. And so don't tune out now because the next couple of months are going to be very interesting. Okay. Well, thank you, Jen and Tom. That's all for today. In closing, just a reminder of what a difference a year can make. As we come up to Memorial Day 2022, recall for a moment Memorial Day 2021. Last year, about this time, the fiscal year 2022 Green Book was dropped upon us. And we, for the first time, got a detailed look at the Biden tax plan that ultimately served as the framework for what became Build Back Better. There seemed to be a lot of wind in the sails of a tax bill that weekend. Yes, it was understood that there would be storms to navigate ahead, but it seemed that Congress would find a way through. Of course, that was not to be, as Build Back Better ultimately stalled out last December. But, you know, as we said today, it still has a chance. Here's the thing. Unlike last December, when Build Back Better was the number one priority, getting a bill done this summer, however, is a little bit at the mercy of other events, many of which we covered today. That's really the biggest challenge that Congress, I believe, faces in getting a bill done this year. So let me end as I started. You heard all the competing priorities for Congress, and you heard how much time is left for Congress to get this done. Take that information and draw your own conclusions as to how likely a tax bill is this summer. Because with all the talk here in Washington from the self-proclaimed political insiders and the oracles of K Street, honestly, they are doing the exact same thing with the exact same information. And I promise you, your take is just as good as theirs. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. And please don't forget to submit your questions and comments and your suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I hope to see you soon. 